Story fifteen of Strictly Business. More stories of the four million by O. Henry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Warren Cotty, Gurney, Illinois. Story fifteen A Bird of Baghdad. Without a doubt, much of the spirit and genius of the Caliph Harun al Rashid descended to the Margrave August Michael von Paulsen Quig. Quig's restaurant is in Fourth Avenue, that street that the city seems to have forgotten in its growth. Fourth Avenue, born and bred in the Bowery, staggers northward, full of good resolutions. Where it crosses Fourteenth Street, it struts for a brief moment proudly in the glare of the museums and cheap theatres. It may yet become a fit mate for its high-born sister boulevard to the west, or its roaring, polyglot, broad-waisted cousin to the east. It passes Union Square, and here the hoofs of the dray horses seem to thunder in unison, recalling the tread of marching hosts. Hooray! But now come the silent and terrible mountains, buildings square as forts, high as the clouds, shutting out the sky, where thousands of slaves bend over desks all day. On the ground floors are only little fruit shops and laundries and bookshops, where you see copies of Little's Living Age and G. W. M. Reynolds' novels in the windows. And next, poor Fourth Avenue, the street glides into a medieval solitude on each side are shops devoted to antiques let us say it is night men in rusty armor stand in the windows and menace the hurrying cars with raised rusty iron gauntlets hauberks and helms blunderbusses cromwellian breastplates matchlocks creases and the swords and daggers of an army of dead and gone gallants gleam dully in the ghostly light here and there from a corner saloon lit with jack-o'-lanterns or phosphorus stagger forth shuddering home-bound citizens nerved by the tankards within to their fearsome journey adown that eldritch avenue lined with the blood-stained weapons of the fighting dead what street could live enclosed by these mortuary relics and trod by these spectral citizens in whose sunken hearts scarce one good whoop or tralala remained not fourth avenue not after the tinsel but enlivening glories of the little rialto not after the echoing drumbeats of union square there need be no tears ladies and gentlemen tis but the suicide of a street with a shriek and a crash fourth avenue dives headlong into the tunnel at thirty-fourth and is never seen again near the sad scene of the thoroughfare's dissolution stood the modest restaurant of quig it stands there yet if you care to view its crumbling red brick front its show window heaped with oranges tomatoes layer cakes pies canned asparagus its papier-mache lobster and two maltese kittens asleep on a bunch of lettuce if you care to sit at one of the little tables upon whose cloth has been traced in the yellowest of coffee stains 
the trail of the japanese advance to sit there with one eye on your umbrella and the other upon the bogus bottle from which you drop the counterfeit sauce foisted upon us by the cursed charlatan who assumes to be our dear old lord and friend the nobleman in india quigg's title came through his mother one of her ancestors was a margravine of saxony his father was a tamani brave on account of the dilution of his heredity he found that he could neither become a reigning potentate nor get a job in the city hall so he opened a restaurant he was a man full of thought and reading the business gave him a living though he gave it little attention one side of his house bequeathed to him a poetic and romantic adventure the other gave him the restless spirit that made him seek adventure by day he was quig the restaurateur by night he was the margrave the caliph the prince of bohemia going about the city in search of the odd the mysterious the inexplicable the recondite one night at nine at which hour the restaurant closed quigg set forth upon his quest there was a mingling of the foreign the military and the artistic in his appearance as he buttoned his coat high up under his short-trimmed brown and gray beard and turned westward toward the more central life conduits of the city in his pocket he had stored an assortment of cards written upon without which he never stirred out of doors each of those cards was good at his own restaurant for its face value some called simply for a bowl of soup or sandwiches and coffee others entitled their bearer to one two three or more days of full meals a few were for single regular meals a very few were in effect meal tickets good for a week of riches and power margrave quigg had none but he had a caliph's heart it may be forgiven him if his head fell short of the measure of harun al-rashid's perhaps some of the gold pieces in baghdad had put less warmth and hope into the complainants among the bazaars than had quigg's beef stew among the fishermen and one-eyed calenders of manhattan continuing his progress in search of romance to divert him or of distress that he might aid quigg became aware of a fast-gathering crowd that whooped and fought and eddied at a corner of broadway and the crosstown street that he was traversing hurrying to the spot he beheld a young man of an exceedingly melancholy and preoccupied demeanor engaged in the pastime of casting silver money from his pockets in the middle of the street with each motion of the generous one's hand the crowd huddled upon the falling largesse with yells of joy traffic was suspended a policeman in the centre of the mob stooped often to the ground as he urged the blockaders to move on the margrave saw at a glance that here was food for his hunger after knowledge concerning abnormal working of the human heart he made his way swiftly to the young man's side and took his arm come with me at once he said in the low but commanding voice that his waiters had learned to fear pinched remarked the young man looking up at him with expressionless eyes 
pinched by a painless dentist. Take me away, Flatty, and give me gas. Some lay eggs and some lay none. When is a hen? Still deeply seized by some inward grief, but tractable, he allowed Quig to lead him away and down the street to a little park. There, seated on a bench, he upon whom a corner of the great caliph's mantle had descended, spake with kindness and discretion, seeking to know what evil had come upon the other, disturbing his soul and driving him to such ill-considered and ruinous waste of his substance and stores. "'I was doing the Monte Cristo act as adapted by Pompton and Jay, wasn't I?' asked the young man. "'You were throwing small coins into the street for the people to scramble after,' said the Margrave. "'That's it. You buy all the beer you can hold, and then you throw chicken feed to—' oh curse that word chicken and hens feathers roosters eggs and everything connected with it young sir said the margrave kindly but with dignity though i do not ask your confidence i invite it i know the world and i know humanity man is my study though i do not eye him as a scientist eyes a beetle or as the philanthropist gazes at the objects of his bounty through a veil of theory and ignorance it is my pleasure and distraction to interest myself in the peculiar and complicated misfortunes that life in a great city visits upon my fellow-men you may be familiar with the history of that glorious and immortal ruler the caliph harun al-rashid whose wise and beneficent excursions among his people in the city of baghdad secured him the privilege of relieving so much of their distress in my humble way i walk in his footsteps i seek for romance and adventure in city streets not in ruined castles or in crumbling palaces to me the greatest marvels of magic are those that take place in men's hearts when acted upon by the furious and diverse forces of a crowded population in your strange behavior this evening i fancy a story lurks i read in your act something deeper than the wanton wastefulness of a spendthrift i observe in your countenance the certain traces of consuming grief or despair i repeat i invite your confidence i am not without some power to alleviate and advise will you not trust me gee how you talk exclaimed the young man a gleam of admiration supplanting for a moment the dull sadness of his eyes you've got the astor library skinned to a synopsis of preceding chapters i mind that old turk you speak of i read the arabian nights when i was a kid he was a kind of bill devery and charlie schwab rolled into one but say you might wave enchanted dish rags and make copper bottles smoke up coon giants all night without ever touching me my case won't yield to that kind of treatment if i could hear your story said the margrave with his lofty serious smile i'll spiel it in about nine words said the young man with a deep sigh but i don't think you can help me any unless you're a peach at guessing it's back to the bosphorus for you on your magic linoleum the story of the young man and the harness maker's riddle i work at hildebrand's saddle and harness shop down in grant street i've worked there five years i get eighteen dollars a week that's enough to marry on ain't it well i'm not going to get married 
old hildebrandt is one of these funny dutchmen you know the kind always getting off bum jokes he's got about a million riddles and things that he faked from roger's brother's great-grandfather bill watson works there too me and bill have to stand for them chestnuts day after day why do we do it well jobs ain't to be picked off every anheuser bush and then there's laura what the old man's daughter comes in the shop every day about nineteen and the picture of the blonde that sits on the palisades of the rhine and charms the clam diggers into the surf hair the color of straw matting and eyes as black and shiny as the best harness blacking think of that me well it's either me or bill watson she treats us both equal bill is all to the psychopathic about her and me well you saw me plating the roadbed of the great maroon way with silver tonight that was on account of laura i was spifflicated your highness and i wot not of what i wouldst how why old hildebrand says to me and bill this afternoon boys one riddle have i for you gehopthaben a young man who cannot riddles aunt fortin he is not so good by business for ein family to provide is not that hein and he hands us a riddle a conundrum some calls it and he chuckles interiorly and gives both of us till tomorrow morning to work out the answer to it and he says whichever of us guesses the repartee end of it goes to his house on wednesday night to his daughter's birthday party and it means laura for whichever of us goes for she's naturally aching for a husband and it's either me or bill watson for old hildebrandt likes us both and wants her to marry somebody that'll carry on the business after he stitched his last pair of traces the riddle why it was this what kind of a hen lays the longest think of that what kind of a hen lays the longest ain't it like a dutchman to risk a man's happiness on a full proposition like that now what's the use what i don't know about hens would fill several incubators you say you're giving imitations of the old arab guy that gave away libraries in baghdad well now can you whistle up a fairy that'll solve this hen query or not when the young man ceased the margrave arose and paced to and fro by the park bench for several minutes finally he sat again and said in grave and impressive tones i must confess sir that during the eight years that i have spent in search of adventure and in relieving distress i have never encountered a more interesting or a more perplexing case i fear that i have overlooked hens in my researches and observations as to their habits their times and manner of laying their many varieties and cross-breedings their span of life their oh don't make an ibsen drama of it interrupted the young man flippantly riddles especially old hildebrandt's riddles don't have to be worked out seriously they are light themes such as sim ford and harry thurston peck like to handle but somehow i can't strike just the answer bill watson may and he may not tomorrow will tell well your majesty i'm glad anyhow that you butted in and whiled the time away i guess mr al rashid himself would have bounced back if one of his constituents had conducted him up against this riddle i'll say good night p 
peace for yours and what you may call it's of allah the margrave still with a gloomy air held out his hand i cannot express my regret he said sadly never before have i found myself unable to assist in some way what kind of a hen lays the longest it is a baffling problem there is a hen i believe called the plymouth rock that cut it out said the young man the caliph trade is a mighty serious one i don't suppose you'd even see anything funny in a preacher's defense of john d rockefeller well good night your nibs from habit the margrave began to fumble in his pockets he drew forth a card and handed it to the young man do me the favor to accept this anyhow he said the time may come when it might be of use to you thanks said the young man pocketing it carelessly my name is simmons shame to him who would hint that the reader's interest shall altogether pursue the margrave august michael von paulsen quigg i am indeed astray if my hand fail in keeping the way where my peruser's heart would follow then let us on the morrow peep quickly in at the door of hildebrandt harness-maker hildebrandt's two hundred pounds reposed on a bench silver buckling a raw leather martingale bill watson came in first well said hildebrandt shaking all over with the vile conceit of the joke-maker half you guessed him what kind of a hen lays their longest er why i think so said bill rubbing a servile chin i think so mr hildebrandt the one that lives the longest is that right nine said hildebrandt shaking his head violently you have not guessed their answer bill passed on and donned a bed-tick apron and bachelorhood in came the young man of the arabian nights fiasco pale melancholy hopeless well said hildebrandt half you guessed him what kind of a hand lays their longest simmons regarded him with dull savagery in his eye should he curse this mountain of pernicious humor curse him and die why should but there was laura dogged speechless he thrust his hands into his coat pockets and stood his hand encountered the strange touch of the margrave's card he drew it out and looked at it as men about to be hanged look at a crawling fly there was written on it in quigg's bold round hand good for one roast chicken to bearer simmons looked up with a flashing eye a dead one said he goot roared hildebrandt rocking the table with giant glee dot is right you gome at mine house at eight o'clock to der party End of story 15 A Bird of Baghdad